Good morning. Happy Easter. Whether you're joining us for the first time or you're a regular attender at Calvary Church, you're helping us make history this morning. We are having our Easter services exclusively online for the first time in our history. I'm not sure if you've realized it, but since all of life has changed, church has changed, and that means Easter's changed too. For example, you're probably asking a few questions this Easter that you haven't asked before. Am I getting toilet paper in my Easter basket? Do I have to sanitize the eggs before I dye them? Are you all set for your Easter family dinner to be done by Zoom or virtually? Well, even though the coronavirus seems to have changed everything, the truths that we're going to talk about today and the meaning behind Easter doesn't change at all. And our hope and stability for life is actually found in those unchanging things that we're going to talk about today. We're in a series here at Calvary Church that we're calling Fake News. And we've probably had four installments or so. And there's a sense in which fake news is going to help us understand the true news of Easter. Now, when I say fake news and we talk in our series about fake news, I'm not talking about Fox and CNN. We're talking about ideas and expressions that people think are in the Bible, but they're not really there. And the problem is that sometimes God's character gets impinged or shaped in a misconstrued way because we think those ideas or statements are true. So for example, one of the statements we looked at is, God helps those who help themselves. Now there is a sense in which God is our helper and he comes alongside of us and promises to never leave us. But the real truth of the Bible is that God helps us when we can't help ourselves. The problems and difficulties of life are beyond our ability, and certainly the problems of death and eternity are beyond our ability to understand, let alone solve. God helps those who can't help themselves. A couple of weeks ago, Carlos looked at the fake news that God wants us happy. Sometimes that fake news comes in the form of a rhetorical question. Well, doesn't God want me to be happy? And we all assume the answer to be, of course, God wants us to be happy. You know, but there are some things in life a whole lot more important than our fleeting happiness. God's after those internal changes that actually bring about joy that lasts forever and ever. Last week on Palm Sunday, Carlos helped us think about expectations and how sometimes our incomplete expectations wind up twisting the story of Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. You know, the expectations of the people on Good Friday were that Jesus was a conquering military king. And when he didn't live up to their expectations, they wound up turning on him. They wanted Jesus to be a priest that would keep all the functions of the temple operational. And when he didn't come to do that, they began to say, Jesus doesn't fit my expectations. Therefore, he must not be the one that I'm looking for. Well, you know, a lot of people think of Easter as fake news. They can understand, you know, Jesus living maybe and Jesus dying, but rising from the dead, that has to be fake news. Well, can I tell it to you straight? If Easter is fake news and Jesus never rose from the dead, then our problem is not solved. Our biggest problem isn't solved. God's promises are not trustworthy, and death is the end. 
But if Easter is not fake news, if Easter's true news, then God's promises are true and maybe our problem's solved and maybe there's life beyond death. Well, maybe uh, Easter is soft news. You know what soft news is? Soft news is advice. It's entertaining. It's practical, helpful hints. Let me give you some examples. Pinterest has built an empire off of soft news. It's kind of do-it-yourself news. Take this guidance, practice these steps, and you can produce something beautiful. Most diets, it's self-news. Practical things to apply to your life and lose some weight along the way. How do you exercise during a pandemic? Some soft news. A couple of weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal, in their Saturday edition, there was a fake news, a whole section that was called Superior Slumber. And the whole section was about how to get better sleep. And three of the different articles that argued back and forth went like this. How should you sleep? Should you sleep in pajamas? Should you sleep in your underwear? Or should you sleep naked? And they had fake news, or excuse me, they had soft news, the advice for this, the advice for that. All of that is do-it-yourself advice. Try this. Maybe it'll work for you. So is Easter soft news? I, I read a quote a couple of weeks ago that reminded me how a lot of people think of Easter as soft news. The quote went like this. Spring is the reminder that summer is on the way. Spring is the reminder summer's on the way. Spring, the blooming of flowers and trees, is a symbol, it's a metaphor for hope that better, warmer beach days are coming. Maybe Easter's like that. Maybe Easter's a metaphor, advice and encouragement as we move the doldrums of winter or as we live in this corona epidemic. Maybe Easter tells us that better days are coming. But it's not hard news. Well, let me... Uh, tell you again, if Easter is only soft news, then there's no help in that soft news. Because if Easter is all about do it yourself, apply, apply the advice, apply these principles, self-help, there is no solution. Because if I'm counting on myself to bring about self-help, there is no help in that. Well, the Bible never presents the resurrection as fake news or soft news. The Bible presents the resurrection as hard news, hard news in opposition to soft news. Let me read a few verses from what's often been called the resurrection chapter. That's 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. Here's what Paul writes, and notice, there are no words of practical hints for living. There's no advice that's giving. The Bible gives us lots of practical help and the Bible gives us lots of advice and good principles to live by, but it's all rooted on the hard news of truth. Listen to how Paul presents the resurrection. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, 
then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Notice when Paul's talking about the resurrection, when he's talking about Good Friday and Easter, he doesn't present it as fake news or even soft news. He talks about it as hard news. There's logic, there's testable cases and evidence to be looked at. Now notice in those verses that I read, there are two absolute truths concerning Christianity. We can call them Easter truths, if you will. And there are two. Christ died, and there's no problem with that. There's no problem that comes from Christ dying. Everybody believes if Jesus died, or Jesus lived, Jesus died. But how about the little phrase that comes after that? Jesus died for our sins. That presents a problem, doesn't it? Some of you are probably sitting at home thinking, we're not even 15 minutes into this talk, and already Charles is calling me a no-good, rotten sinner. I didn't call you that. I'm just reading what the Bible says. Here's all that phrase means. We have a problem, and Jesus came to solve it. Christ died for our sins. He didn't die to fix a problem he had. He died because we have a problem, and he went on this mission to solve our problem. I sometimes think in terms of um, our problem as a me-first problem. I'm really thankful that all the Starbucks inside supermarkets remain open during the epidemic. So every morning, I go to Starbucks in the Giant to get a coffee. And as, as it was the beginning of this shelter in place, I wanted to be especially nice this morning. And I walked in, into the door and there was a woman right behind me and she was also going to Starbucks. So I was going to be above and beyond gracious and I asked her to go ahead of me. I knew I made a mistake as soon as she went up and told the uh, barista what she wanted because it took her 90 seconds to state all the ingredients that she wanted in her coffee. And I sat there steaming, thinking I could have been up there. Whatever happened to just getting coffee black or with a little cream? Why do you need all this other stuff in the coffee? You see, our problem is we live with a me-first perspective. That's one way to look at what the Bible calls sin. And so the one truth of Christianity, the one absolute truth that undergirds everything is Christ died, but he died to solve our problem. But Easter's all about the second truth, and that's Christ was raised. Christ didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead. In this chapter, and a lot of other places in the Bible, there are evidences for Easter. You know, the one evidence that I often think of that a lot of people just skip over is that no one expected Jesus to actually fulfill his promise to rise again. On that early morning, there wasn't a whole group of disciples outside the tomb waiting to celebrate. They weren't all there with their confetti and horns waiting to welcome him as he came back to life. No, they were sulking and depressed because Jesus was executed and the women go to the tomb not to welcome him back to life. They go to anoint him for permanent burial. Nobody expected him to do it. Even though he promised over and over and over again he would die and rise again, no one expected that. But that's not the main evidence I want to talk about. I want to talk about some evidence that shows up maybe in the background a little bit. I want to mention the empty tomb and eyewitnesses. Both of those things show up in the verses we read from 1 Corinthians 15. But if you marry the two together, 
that forms some pretty ironclad evidence. For example, if there was only an empty tomb and there were no eyewitnesses, it would have been real easy for people to um, allow a lie to spread. And that was somebody stole the body or they went to the wrong tomb. If they only had an empty tomb, somebody would have been able to explain it and the whole myth would have been destroyed. If there were only eyewitnesses, but the tomb was still filled, they would have thought all the eyewitnesses were just hallucinating. But if you have an empty tomb and eyewitnesses together, boy, that forms some pretty ironclad evidences. evidence. They weren't hallucinating and no one could produce the body. The empty tomb, a private tomb, not a cemetery filled with bodies and nobody knew where they put them a private tomb of a very wealthy person, but the tomb was empty. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people that saw him alive. And as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, many of the people that saw him were still alive when he wrote 1 Corinthians. Pretty sound evidence. But here's another set of things that sometimes that cause me to smile. If you're going to fabricate a resurrection, Suppose it didn't happen, but you want to create this idea that Jesus rose from the dead when he really didn't. You would create a narrative that everybody can understand and digest easily. But you ever notice there's a lot of weirdness in the Easter story? Let me mention a few things to you. First of all, women were the first witnesses. Now, I'm not calling any women weird, nothing like that. And uh, we live in a world in which women are credible, most likely more credible than men. But in Jesus' day and in the first century, women were not credible witnesses. They couldn't testify in court. Everything a woman said was taken with a grain of salt. If you're going to fabricate a resurrection, you wouldn't in the story allow the first witnesses of that resurrection to be women who couldn't make a valid, credible testimony. Oh yeah, but not just that. How about this weirdness? Jesus shows up to people that knew him, to friends and followers, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus meets Mary in the garden, but she doesn't recognize him. The disciples on the road to Emmaus find Jesus walking with them, but they don't recognize him for a long time. When Jesus shows up with the other disciples, their first thought is that he's a ghost, not that he's been raised from the dead. If you're going to fabricate a resurrection, would you include that weirdness? Would you include his followers not recognizing him? Would you include the fact or would you include that Jesus shows up and they think he's a ghost, he's not real? Oh, and how about this little tidbit of weirdness? In a couple of the accounts, accounts Jesus shows up with his disciples, but the doors had been locked and they're sealed inside, and Jesus just appears. He either walked through the walls, he walked through the doors, or he just showed up. But then he eats with them. You know, if it's either or, that may kind of make sense, right? If, if you show up, maybe you are some kind of a phantom. If you eat stuff, you can't just walk through the door or the wall. After Are you going to leave that food as you go through? You wouldn't create in a fabricated story weirdness that even today we scratch our heads and say, what does all this mean? Those weird things are recorded 
Because they really happened. Why did Jesus appear to women first? Because he appeared to women first. Why do we read that some of his followers didn't recognize him? Because some of his followers didn't recognize him. And I don't know what that means. Why do we read that he showed up behind locked doors and solid walls and then he ate with them? Because that's what really happened. You see, there's pretty good evidence. An empty tomb and eyewitnesses both together and a bunch of Easter weirdness that shows us if you're trying to make up a, a resurrection so lots of other people will believe and follow somebody, you wouldn't include a whole lot of weird stuff and you wouldn't have an empty tomb, eyewitnesses, if they really weren't there. You see, the Bible presents Easter as hard news. It's not advice. It's not a do-it-yourself message. It's not try these few things and it may work out well for you. No, the gospel, the message of the scripture is hard news. These things happened. And since they happened, they impact and affect our lives. And it's not that you need to do, your, do it yourself in order to experience the benefit. It's that we can't help ourselves. But God comes alongside to help us when we can't help ourselves. You know, there's one last kind of news that I want to end with. And that's that the mission of Jesus is often called good news. In fact, the word gospel is really just good news. Well, why in the world is this good news? If Jesus really did die for our sins, and if he really was, raised from the dead to prove that he solved our biggest problem, he comes to remind us that our biggest problem is solved and his promises are good forever and ever. You know, the Bible talks about sin, that word I mentioned a few, uh, a few minutes ago. The Bible talks about sin in a lot of different ways. Let, let, let me just mention a couple of them to you and see how Easter is the solution to that. The Bible presents sin as bondage, imprisonment. We're kind of stuck. We can't help ourselves. We know we have these problems, and self-help won't help. We can't get out. But Easter, Good Friday and Easter together, bring freedom, deliverance. All of those positive words reflect the solution to our problem of bondage. The Bible also presents our problem as being a disease. And boy, in our world with uh, COVID, that illustration kind of fits, doesn't it? We live in fear that we may get infected or that if we have the infection, we're going to infect others. You know, the Bible makes it crystal clear that the disease of sin afflicts everyone and the results are 100% terminal. Good Friday and Easter bring healing for the disease. We are powerless to stand any, any chance of bringing about a change, but Good Friday and Easter bring power. We are separated and alienated from God and from others because of that me first mechanism. But Easter brings reconciliation and connection once again. You know, there are a lot of different ways that the Bible talks about our problem. 
In fact, in a couple of weeks from now, as we wrap up our fake news series, we're going to look at a number of ways the Bible describes our problem and how Jesus brings the solution. But that's probably enough for us uh, right now to think of our problem and the solution that Jesus brings. But you know, in order for that news, hard news of Good Friday and Easter, to become good news for you, you have to act on it. And here's what I mean. You have to acknowledge that you have the problem. Whatever metaphor works better for you, you've got the illness, you've got the infection, you've got the disease, you are in bondage, you are alienated. All those things are absolutely true. And we taste them at certain times in our lives. You've got to acknowledge the problem. But then you have to accept the solution. The solution is Jesus dying for our sins, according to the scriptures. And Jesus being raised from the dead to show that that debt has been paid. Another metaphor. That illness has been healed. That bondage has been liberated. All of that transacts. Acknowledge the problem. Accept the solution. And you may be uh, watching this and you say, yeah, I'm thankful for the Good Friday Easter message. And I've acknowledged and accepted Years ago, and I continue to live out that acknowledgement and acceptance today, but there's a challenge in Easter to all of us, and that's to announce. Announce Easter. Announce the two truths of Christianity. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Christ rose from the dead. If you've never acknowledged and accepted the Good Friday Easter message, I can't think of a better time than for you to do that right now. And you can do that by praying, just talking to God the way you may talk to a friend, someone in your living room with you. You can acknowledge you have the problem. You can accept the solution. And when you acknowledge before God, God, I have that problem. I experience just the taste of it. And I also accept the solution that Good Friday and Easter bring. If you do that, I want to be the first to welcome you into the family of God, into the congregation that we call Calvary Church. And soon, when we open up the doors and we're able to gather again, we want you to show up here and celebrate with us. But until that time, remember acknowledging, remember accepting, and pick up the challenge to continually announce the good news that we call Easter. Let's pray. Father, it's pretty humbling for us to think about the Good Friday and Easter message because it is all about acknowledging and it's all about accepting. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be able to acknowledge that we have the problem and other people kind of rub up against us. And as they do it, they experience a little bit of our hard edges that remind us of the problem. But Lord, thank you for the solution that Jesus brings. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us together to not just experience that, but to extend that and announce that Easter message, that message that Jesus brings until we meet you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Easter.